0: This is First Person, a Cahiso Media podcast. Journalist and author Marianne Tam discovers what's really going on behind some very everyday-looking front doors. For more information and to subscribe for free, go to firstpersonpod.com. This podcast contains adult content and is not suitable for children.
1: Okay. Should I go? Ordinary. 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 People. 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 Ordinary people. So you come back to the question of... What will you hold out for, and what will you keep looking for? Extraordinary, 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 extraordinary. 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 Lives. lives. extraordinary lives. And looking into that mirror, I saw something true about myself, and it was beautiful to me. First, 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 first. first. Person. Person. person, first person, first. first person. I suppose there's a part of me that still fights it, that says this is not normal, this is not nice, it's not ladylike. This time, Faith Lyon-Wall. There's technique involved. The build-up is such an integral part of the satisfying sexual encounter. So if you know nothing about it and you suddenly start caning somebody and and the room is cold and the flesh is cold, it hurts so badly that you can't even engage with the process, but if it's a tease, if it's a, you warm up with a hand spanking, then you use a, a paddle and then a belt and then a crop and then a cane. You know, the 10 strokes that you take with a cane after 45 minutes of play could be much harder and in a sense more painful but by then your body's like warmed up. You're ready for the intensity and it's lovely, it's not hideous. Sex
0: is, for most sentient beings, a driving force, an animating urge. And let's not forget, life is actually sexually transmitted. Dr. Freud suggested that sex is at the center of all other behaviors, the single most complex atavistic human urge. In 2010, Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jester, in their best-selling book Sex at Dawn, The Prehistoric Origins of Modern Sexuality, countered the modern narrative of human sexual evolution, saying that our ancestors were pretty kinky and actually had multiple sexual partners, and this was once common and completely accepted. Marriage and monogamy, they argued, are externally imposed restraints on our true sexual nature, which brings us to Faith. It's not a real name, but that doesn't matter. Her experience is very real. That of being in a marriage where the sexual light has gone out. She knew she needed something more. And, unlike a lot of people in the same position, she went out and found it. How does that happen? Because all of us have a point where we we are with a partner, where you think, well, I'd like to do something else, but you sort of decide, well, no, I can't because I've got too much at stake, or you just don't do it. Or you don't
1: tell your partner and you do do it. I knew that that was not an option because of the kind of person I am, that I don't want to have to remember what I've told whom. So I knew that secrets and lies just made me feel quite ill. Um, And we were both quite connected to each other in a very meaningful way. And we'd come to an understanding that we had very different sexual needs and wanted different kinds of sex and wanted different intensity and regularity. And he said to me, you've got the itch, you get it scratched, but play safe and come home afterwards.
0: That's quite something. I mean, big thing to say. What did you? How did you broach the subject with him? Did you come back and say to him, do you mind if I sleep with
1: other people. I mean, there was such a level of frustration in me that we were clearly so mismatched about our sexual needs and somebody else was paying me attention and I knew that I wanted to act on it. And I knew it wasn't going to go away, that the desire for more contact, for more, I want to say affirmation because I think that when you desired, you profoundly affirmed as a woman, as a a human being. A, a, as a sexual being, and it was not going to go away. And for ten years before that, you hadn't seen anyone else. No, it had been absolutely monogamous. There was a supreme safety in monogamy, but what was not safe was was feeling rejected, and and feeling unmet and unseen. Part of my need is around the the BDSM. The B is bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission. Okay. And sadomasochism. Okay.
0: How did you find out that that's what turned you on?
1: It was a dawning awareness that I would say actually predated any sort of sexual awareness. That it almost stems from the earliest sort of religious experience as as a as a Christian. That there was a sort of an identification with the Christ figure. That I. I have only begun now to properly identify and understand for myself. There was a sort of a transfiguration or, or something that I imagined in the, the whipping of Christ. Yet I know my father was not a violent man, but, and, and I saw him as a Christ figure but if i disappointed my father there was such a distress in me that somehow you know getting a, a spanking or a hiding and you know the tears and then afterwards being held and being told i was forgiven that was a, a fundamental i think experience that informed my later sexuality but it was not a sexual experience there was no sexual abuse there was nothing sexual about it and yet as an adolescent there was fantasies of of sexual violence done to me But I never knew that, that was not my experience. I lived a very cosseted, sort of middle-class, white, protected uh, childhood and adolescence. And yet, when I started to read erotica and I found out about this, I just knew that was the kind of intimacy that I desired. It absolutely sang.
0: I know that technology now makes it much easier and that um,
1: you know, people are more open about it but how did you go about finding what you needed? There's a kink community in Cape Town and obviously around the country um, and I tapped into fetlife.com which is sort of Facebook for kinky folk and they have, I don't know if it's every month, it used to be every month I, I've sort of dropped out of it that scene now but I went to an event um, where there's public play, and I, I met a man who um, became my first dom. Wait first, wait. Public play. What do you mean? Well, it's in somebody's home, and there's a dedicated play space. So two people or three people will agree to, to play, and it might start off with a man or a woman, it depends who's calling the the shots so to speak, getting undressed or semi-undressed, and then perhaps starting with a spanking or a flogging which is a kind of a light implement that can get heavier and heavier because they're, they're different kinds of floggers, they're made of different materials, they have different impact um, sensations. Or you can have, um, you know, building up to a caning or a, or a full-on bullwhip And everyone's watching? Not everybody. It's it's in a dedicated space. So people who want to watch are welcome to do so. There are also private spaces where you can go into a room and do your thing in private. What did you
0: think when you walked in? Like I
1: found my, found my, my sweet spot? I was surprised to discover that I'm an exhibitionist, that I actually love to do that kind of play in public. And what was interesting was the man who hosted the party had a full length mirror in the play area. And I took off my top. I, I stayed in my skirt and heels. And I put my hands into loops of rope that had been suspended from the ceiling so that you sort of were held, you could hold yourself by your arms. And looking into that mirror, I actually saw a beauty in myself that I had not seen, that I don't see like as I'm putting on my makeup to go to work or disrobing to get in the shower or something. There was something in that moment that I I saw something true about myself and it was beautiful to me.
0: At this point, all I can imagine is that dream we sometimes have. You know, when you find yourself on your way to work in public transport, but you suddenly realise that you've forgotten to get dressed. That dream.
1: You use the word kink. Is that okay? Is it politically correct? I mean... Um, Most kinksters would, would not... I don't think they would be particularly bothered by that. And there's a kind of a tolerance, mostly. You know, your kink is not my kink. You want to do... Something like blood play, which involves needles or cutting, oh. um, that doesn't turn me on. No, <laughs> oh. but there's there's an awareness that you create a safe space for people who want to do that play in public, and you also have the, what the safe word, um, so that when everything's still feeling nice and comfortable, you're on green. When it's starting to warm up or get more um, intense, you you know you can say it's orange. And if it's getting to the pain where you are now no longer comfortable or some part of your body is being touched that you don't, didn't want to be touched, you then it's, the onus is on you to say red zone. So there's an enormous amount of um, egalitarian performance
0: happening there. Yeah. Much more so than when there's unspoken um, uh, assumptions around having sex, I would imagine. Because a lot of people don't really say much. Well, unless they've been married for a very long time, then they probably don't have sex anymore. But I mean, you know what I mean? Well, you know, there seems to be a lot of very
1: explicit um, articulation. In an ideal world, that, that should happen. But what we also know about sexuality is that one can go into a trance state where things that you thought were okay are now no longer okay, or things that you thought, I will never tolerate that, you find yourself saying, oh, actually, okay, this is... Yes, thank you, a little bit more. I think my experience with rope was also a surprise that I'd looked at images of people being tied up and it was like, oh, hmm, whatever. But when I had somebody actually bind my hands in rope and I was immobilized, it was a profound experience of relinquishment and I had not understood that. We live these compartmentalized lives where your thinking function and your bodily functions are often in, in very sort of different silos. And so you can have a notion about what does it mean to be slapped or spanked or, or, or whipped. And until you've actually crossed that threshold and entered it with an open heart and an open mind, you don't know what you're gonna feel. And you, you are not prepared for what might emerge. And so that's I think the biggest surprise is that you can be horrified you can be delighted. You can be anything in between. You can be disconnected. Or you can be triggered by something that you'd completely forgotten for good bloody reason, because it's vile. And all of a sudden these memories come up. You can sort of find yourself weeping if you know, if you don't climax, or weeping if you do, and you don't you're not necessarily sad. There's not really language for this in some ways because to to disentangle what's happening when you've been whipped or tied up or whatever and, and to try and sort of pick it apart logically, it's not that easy to do. You get my face red.
0: And so then did you return home? your husband and say I found what I think I need to do? And did you tell him everything? Did no, no, he him? wasn't
1: particularly interested. Okay, so he didn't... He, it yeah. wasn't a kind of a cuckold scenario where he wanted to watch. Okay, or, or no, or he just said me say safe. he came to one or two of them with me because he's a hell of a good sport. Um, what happened then was that I met a man who became my dom and we saw each other for about nine months. It was gratifying sexually, hugely gratifying sexually. When uh, you say dom, you mean you're your
0: dominant you domin- no,
1: dominant, your dominant. Yeah, he was on his own journey learning about what he wanted, and then when he decided that he, you know, wanted more than one sexual partner, I thought oh, this doesn't really suit me anymore. You know, because I wasn't being sexually active with my husband particularly. I just realised I, I didn't really want to be part of multiple couplings.
0: Did you bond with him emotionally in any way? Oh, absolutely. Okay, very much so. Um, very much so. Would you would you just see each other for sex,
1: or would you go out for dinner? Would you go to we, the movies? Oh uh, yes, certainly. And um, we sometimes we'd socialise with my husband as well. We'd go to movies, the three of us, or go to dinner. Not very often, but now and again. I mean, we also once went camping, with, you know, and had two tents, and he was happy to be included, and he he loved the you know the camping experience. Um, and the purpose of those socialising together? Again, I, retrospectively, what was the purpose? I don't know. Maybe I was sort of... I had an, a hope that there was some way of making the whole scenario work. And now, for four years on from that, I, I don't... I think I was naive. So Although it, it can work. A, I mean... Uh, it, there are sort of open houses where people work and live together. Yeah, I think that was that was a hope. Because with the next partner, we even talked at one stage about buying a property together. With your husband? With my husband, my partner and I, that we were going to go, sort of, all three, well, three of us, three ways. And, and your children? My children were old enough that they weren't really affected, okay. they'd have sort of matriced and were on their own okay.
0: So you, you speak of this marriage and this partnership with your husband which as you say is a deep connection on, on, on many levels but which is sexually on, on some level not compatible. Mm. But at the same time when one goes outside of this often sexual encounters are not, they don't have very much depth in the real world. Is the need to have the sex that you need to have that overwhelming that it's worth
1: compromising that for? I think that if your experience of being held in the sexual encounter is insufficient or inadequate. There's a an elemental schism that's happening between sort of body-mind and soul. And that when there is sufficient physical holding the other holding whether it's financial, or whether it's intellectual, or whether it's companionship, walks on the beach, walks on the mountain, doing things together. Um, though I, I, it's, Again, it's really hard to define and to articulate and to, to sew the whole thing up. Basically, there wasn't enough holding. The marriage has ultimately ended in its contemporary format. Um, How it goes to whatever it must yet be uh, is not completely clear. There's no animosity, there's no hostility. Um, There's a deep compassion for each other and a deep caring that that continues. That's not going to end. Um, And yet I found it harder and harder to be seeking what I needed sexually, and then to return to a marriage, which, at one level, I suppose I'd outgrown.
0: What you said in- earlier on was quite interesting because you didn't want um, to have multiple partners with the one uh, dom that you'd met. He wanted yes. to. Um, because uh, it's usually the other way around, where, where you are having multiple partners to a certain extent. You've got your husband who you hadn't closed off the door, and you're having, yeah, and, you, and you're sleeping with this guy or well, not sleeping with. I mean, I don't know what it's such it's a like, intimacy. weird intimacy, weird euphemism, uh, having sex with. Um, yet you don't want him,
1: so there's a possessiveness around it in a way. Don't go looking for logic, Maria. Oh, okay. Um, That's my problem. There's you see. there's something about. Being possessed, being the one and only—that is, indescribably—I want to say beautiful, but it's—it's—it's it's, it's what one yearns for. It's sexy. It's sexy, um, and it's fine for me to have multiple partners. <laughs> but if my one of my partners goes off and finds somebody else, I—I I come unravelled so it's like we're running two operating systems at the same time there's the one for monogamy and there's the one for for polyamory and i have no way of reconciling them i just don't
0: What i say to young people when i see them is like have a lot of sex when you're young like a huge amount of it because you might get to a point where you marry somebody and it does become you know like routine and predictable and but this is now speaking about those of us who are not brave enough to do what you've done you can't be with someone for 10 years 20 years 30 years and never ever find anyone else attractive
1: I thank you for saying it's brave I don't particularly recognize that as such Um, I suppose there's a part of me that still fights it that says this is not normal this is not nice it's not ladylike Um, and there are these very strong sort of elements of socialization that define what nice girls do. And, I mean, I had one lover who said, please don't call yourself a slut in my presence. And yet, for me, there's a a sort of a sex-positive connotation that I embrace that earthy desire, that that I have a high sex drive, that I have an imagination that's out of the ordinary, that I have real-life lived experiences, that... We don't know how, how common they are. The problem is we don't speak about it. We don't teach
0: each other how to deal with um, desire. desire.
1: It's a very complicated business, this, uh, you know, this
0: sexuality. It is
1: complicated. I mean, I've been in a relationship for two years now with a man who's my dom. And the sex has been fantastic. It's been transcendent. Um Jeez, I've never had transcendent sex. I've got to tell you that. No, it's been very special. Wow. I think it's the relinquishment of control that when you're with somebody who you trust enough to take over the scene setting, the build up, the choice of implements or postures, or whether you're blindfolded, or whether you're fully naked, or whether you're exposed, or you don't know how long this thing's going to last, uh, a, a switch is flicked inside oneself, that you, you hope there'll be a grand climax, but there's no guarantee, and when that does happen, I think that there's kind of rapture, there's bliss. But there are enough other real-life complications and obstacles to say that this is not somebody that I would want to necessarily settle down with and get old with. So you come back to the question of what will you hold out for, and what will you keep looking for? And I've met a man who's much older than I am, who meets me intellectually, socially, um, spiritually, who's not interested in kink at all. And um, have you he, discussed it with him? Have yes.
0: Oh, absolutely. And what was his response around uh, your interest in it?
1: He has been interested. I don't think he understands, and he doesn't pretend to understand, um, but he certainly has enough uh, insight for me to be able to talk about it as an expression of my uh, religious encounter, as an expression of my psyche, to not judge it and and certainly not condemn me. But he's also said, please don't ask me ever to hurt you. I, I, I just could not do that. The sex is wonderful, but it's not of the flavour that I have come to know and like and am used to. So that's been quite a a transition for me is to almost go back to what we call slightly disparagingly vanilla sex, Mm. Um, which I suppose I'd forgotten that it has its charms as well. So we have a stalemate, monogamous
0: you versus having loads of sex with other people you. Perhaps we've evolved emotionally and require, like gibbons and swans and turtle doves, that one, that only, who knows? Dan Savage, one of the world's most influential 21st century writers on sex, believes that monogamy works for some people but not for others. Savage believes we can't help our urges, and actually the best we can do for our partner is to be honest about these, which is what this story is all about in the end, honestly mostly.
1: Because I've done it, because I know the reality, both of the good things, but also the fact that you may need to go and see a physio afterwards, and then you've got stripes all down your back that you're going to have difficulty explaining, you know, that you've, you've got into a spasm in response to a particularly painful blow, and, you know, now you really need to get your neck fixed. I may be naive, and I may look back in three or five or ten years' time and say, that was a mistake. But what I'm hoping now is that as I enter a new relationship, where, in every likelihood, I'm going to opt for monogamy again, um, that the experience of the sacred will relocate. It will not be in, you know, identifying with Desiree. Christ, Desiree. Uh, you know, being whipped, Oof. but to some sort of resurrection song that's being sung. Whether that. Takes voice through my own writing, or my own composition, or my own musical performance. Um, it's my hope that that chapter will close and close with dignity and with with reverence, which is how I try to try to live my life in every facet. I'm also open to exploring, in a sense, a, a new dimension of my own sexuality, which requires a level of surrender, but to to a not knowing and perhaps to a deeper unknowing than what I found in the experience of, of BDSM. I think when in a partnership there is permission to be utterly vulnerable, and utterly honest about who you are and what where you've been and what you think you're wanting, Um, there's something incredibly sexy about that. If you know you can say, this is me, and know that you're not going to be scolded or disapproved of, you may not be understood. That's probably a given, actually.
0: Well, what I can say to that is that you are finally seen not just physically. Yeah. That you then are seen. Yeah. Your heart is seen. Your mind is seen.
1: And perhaps that's the redemptive encounter that I'm really looking for actually. To be seen. Yeah.
0: Not in the mirror, being watched by a group of people as you are bound. Yeah. But in the privacy of a room with a person who really sees you. That's kind of ultimately all you can hope for, I suppose. Big deal. <laughs> That's pretty big deal otherwise you can get a dog because i think our dogs really see us and our cats and our goldfish they
1: i think the asexuals of the world would agree
0: that and the thing about the goldfish is they forget that they know you, so, so you, can, you can... first person is a kahiso media podcast for more information and to subscribe for free go to firstpersonpod.com or find us on itunes if you'd like to advertise around the podcast then email first person at rehisomedia.co.za